I'm Pat Spaulding of True Tales Live, and I will be interviewing two storytellers that you may have heard tonight. First, our one person, <laughs> John Rochelot and Michael Lang. And John is an inventor. We haven't ever had an inventor, a local inventor, on our storytelling program before. He told us uh, some new material about business and um, flanges. Flanges, yes, flanges. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the flange. And Michael has uh, told on True Tales previously. On the radio show. Yes, more than a few times. So Michael actually earns his living as a storyteller and a writer. Sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> All of us that uh, try to depend on that for a living, it's always a sometimes situation. So guys, I'd kind of like to open it up with John. Why don't you tell us about how you got to True Tales Live and a little bit about the background that got you here from what you're up to. Well, my wife and I heard about it uh, from Sharon Jones, another local performer and uh, storyteller. And so I didn't seriously consider it until uh, maybe a month or so after she mentioned it and thought, <clears throat> um, why not tell my story uh, about inventing, um, especially in the light of the fact that uh, most products seem to be, be made overseas and I choose to make the products that I use in my own HVAC systems in Maine, New Hampshire, and Mass. Um, so I guess, you know, it, telling stories gets the word out, at least um, it, it, can, uh, it can find its way around. And so you never know who might hear the story and how that might spin into Networking. some opportunity. Yeah, which is kind of be good for business too. Now, you um, tell, you do public speaking and for different groups. Do you tell this story? Have you told this story to various groups or forms of it? Or is this kind of a new story for you to tell? Um, I have not told this um, revision of the story. And I say revision because <clears throat> when I first wrote about the two and a half year invention development odyssey that I started in 1996, um, I, it was such a, um, an important event in my life that I had to I had to write about it and it was a 24 page story with pictures so there's no way I could t tell that story at Two Tales so I um, uh, with your guidance of, uh, of what Two Tales is looking for I was able to reform it into a five page story uh, so good yeah, I mean it has a bit of a Horatio Alger feel to it the rags to riches type Thing, which is always a good story structure. Uh, and Michael, Michael Lang here, you've been telling this story that you told for a while, or is this fairly new to telling? So this story, I had actually forgotten this incident almost entirely until John asked me if I'd be willing to tell a story here on the show. And I was trying to think, what on earth am I going to talk about? And was thinking about the original theme for the month before it was opened into whatever you like and was trying to think of stories where I had to apologize for something, and suddenly this story jumped into my head one morning as I woke up, and I said, oh my goodness, yes, I have to tell this story, because even I forgot about it. 
And it is actually a story about storytelling to a certain extent, yeah. how the power of story expands beyond your control. I've found that to be the case with certain stories that there's a there's a point where a story has a life of its own Absolutely. and it's not so much about the teller it's just like it's got to be told whether it's ready or not it's ready to get out there right. I'm uh, and that was that was good I was pretty riveted with that oh, and I'm, I'm gonna be a little bit watching out for the gorilla guy you yeah know? you I, never know you never know who's up there in the mountains I mean, that's solidly in your imagination just because you haven't seen him doesn't mean he's not there I, I get it. That's absolutely true. Uh, John, you had said something that piqued my interest about the difficulties in being an inventor in the States, New England, and scrambling together the, the time, the money, the personnel to put your project together, and then manufacturing it becomes another challenge once you've got the product. So there's a couple of things I'd like you to talk about a little bit. About. Some uh, about those other individuals that helped you along the way because you credit a lot of people with supporting your ability to get this off the ground. I mean, I don't think I know any inventors. Other Now I know one. My dad was kind of an inventive guy and he was a pattern maker. So you, you needed one of those. Um, so why don't you just fill us in a little bit the background of um, maybe some of the people that got you moving and then the, the struggles that you found when um, you're trying to actually get this to be a money-making thing. Yeah, well, <clears throat> uh, you know, I became an inventor uh, unwittingly, unknowingly. <laughs> I never thought about inventing uh, anything really. Um, <clears throat> but because, you know, I'm determined to solve problems. Uh, that's how I got started, and I didn't know anything about manufacturing. Didn't know, I, as you heard in my story, I did know a pattern maker, but only because we played folk music together. So he told me he was a pattern maker. He may have even showed me patterns that he made, but I had no clue how he did that. So when I called him up after not seeing him for 10 years, it, it was uh, uh, quite amazing that um, my name entered his brain about 10 minutes earlier when we hadn't seen each other in 10 years. Yeah, that's pretty amazing coincidence. So, um, you know, that set the stage for Dave and I working very well together. So um, Dave has a degree from uh, the Colorado School of Mines, which is a metallurgical engineering school. And uh, so um, uh, that's where Dave started. He worked for General Motors, I think, uh, for a while in Michigan and, uh, and then ended up here uh, on the East Coast along with a college uh, mate of his who was a foundryman. He became a, a guy who actually makes the castings with the tooling that a pattern maker makes. So it's just like a bucket on the beach, you know, making sandcastles. The bucket is shaped so that you can pull it up off the sand and then keep building your sandcastle. Well, um, a pattern tooling is similar. It's designed to be compressed into sand and it has an angle, and you pull it up out of the sand, and then you fill the mold with, uh, say, molten metal, whatever that alloy is. Um, so, but that's just one aspect, that, uh, two aspects. That's the pattern maker and then the foundry. So then you've got a machine shop, then you have a heat treating company, then you have a plating company. But you then, found all these people to just, yeah. step by step, 
and I pitch in. Yeah, and I found them through uh, the Thomas Directory, which was a volume of books of all manufacturers for all different types of industries. Um, <clears throat> and and so I was going through those books. Is this before the internet? <laughs> um, well, the internet wasn't up to speed yet. Yeah, let's call okay. it. Let's say right. that. So, but um, in the two and a half years that I designed a uh, hundred plus designs and shapes and of things. Um, uh, I counted 42 individuals and or companies that it took to bring it all together. So, um, you know, to be an inventor uh, is not saying a whole lot. You know, I'm an idea guy. Yeah. I, and I know now how to go around to people who actually have the brains, like Dave Nugent. I, I could tell him what I wanted and he could be doing all the trig functions and figure out the draft angles and all of these things like shorthand, just talking to him. So, and persistence of putting it together, though, you've got that quality too. I would say that's something that I kind of lack. I would like to have more persistence. When I run into a problem that is like, it kind of stops me and I back off, and you just kind of keep pushing until the problem gives way and then solution comes up, which is, that's a really good attitude. <laughs> How about you, Mike, when you <clears throat> create a story do you create it with um, the problems help you, I guess, in in expanding and constructing your story when you run into problems or or does it kind of come as a gift? It really depends on the story. Yeah. Each one is so different. There are, like this story, I had the idea in my head and I knew that I wanted to tell the story of George and that I created George and that I eventually had to apologize for creating George. And in the course of trying to put that into a form that would fit into a 10-minute time block, really most of that story developed as I went out for a walk in nature. And that is, for my storytelling, is often one of my, my methods. And I sometimes encounter problems when I take that approach, but at times it seems like I'm just going to walk and I'll think of something and as I walk, my brain will go somewhere else, and then it'll come back to this, and the pieces will come together eventually. Even this afternoon, I was out walking and finalizing some of the bits of the story in my head of where I wanted to use specific words that I completely left out when I told, but the idea was there. Do you talk it when you walk? You walk and talk? I have it in my head. Uh, I usually don't talk it out loud because when I pass people, they think I'm insane. Well, you can pretend like you're... You know, you've got headphones on, and you're. A lot of people are in their own world now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, for for me, a lot of places I go when I walk, they're familiar to me and they're close to my home. And usually, I, I encounter people who are friends and might as well be family. And I don't want to be rude to them, and they know that I'm blind, so they usually strike a conversation with me from a distance. And sometimes I will be telling myself the story like that very active stream of consciousness, but I'm not actually saying it out loud yet. Okay, I, when I practice storytelling, I have to say it out loud because yeah. I can't say the words in my head. When they come out of my mouth, they'll trip me up unless I have practiced them physically with my mouth. Yeah. And so I'll, I'll walk on the beach a lot, and I will talk out loud on the beach because that's kind of easy, you can, unless it's really crowded. And then you, but, you know, people are, they give you some space. <laughs> or in the car. Like tonight, I was rehearsing the story in the car. And I took the wrong turn, and I was like, "Why am I driving in you know, down Beverly Hill Road? That's not the way to Portsmouth." But 
<laughs> yeah. Um, how about you, John? When <clears throat> when you're constructing the stories, most you did you wrote it. So do you work more exclusively with the written word? Well, actually, I have a lot more stories that are I've never written, and I. That's a good sign. <laughs> We're trying really hard to. Or I am, and, I, and Mike is good at it, just to learn it verbally. It's, this is new to me, though. Yeah, I, I, I like to write as well. Um, I'm writing my memoirs, and it's kind of fitting that, um, you know, at this stage in the game, I was able to connect a story that I hadn't yet mentioned in my memoirs. Oh, that good. Maybe I can tweak it a little bit to fit in there somehow. Um, but, uh, but I have so many stories that uh, I could just tell just like that, and I don't have to rehearse them. I've told them so many times. Remember, I'm in the building trades. Uh-huh. There's a lot of storytelling in the, in the trades. I didn't know that. On the job sites, you know. Sure. Oh, After okay. a while, the, the, the work you're doing just becomes rote, and you don't really need to pay it so much attention. So a lot of storytelling goes on in the building trades. Well, that's, that's true, yeah. <clears throat> I had that experience when I was working as a, for a roofer, of just being up on somebody's house 50, 60 feet in the air and just, okay, so you want me to do the same motion 200 times in a row? Okay. Yeah. You don't really <laughs> need watch. to think about it. <laughs> right. So you had said previously um, about you're getting the invention together, you've got the, the team and money and support, but then there's kind of a snafu once the production is out there and to expand and get big and manufacturing not being easy in the states. Do you care to elaborate a little bit on that? I'd care to elaborate a lot on that <laughs> until, <laughs> well, let's take a until it changed, but let's <laughs> yeah, start yeah. with a little. Um, you know, the, the, the problem that ind independent inventors face, number one, is lack of experience in particular disciplines in, in industrial arts. So um, it makes it even more difficult when uh, so many of these manufacturers, foundries, machine shops, you know, go down the list, um, have all gone out of business. Mm. And um, I would say that uh, the minority of the companies that I worked with in from 1996 to 1999 they're out of business now, and you, you can't find them in a Thomas Register, Thomas Directory. They're not. They're no longer in business. So the the uh, the thing that makes it exceedingly difficult to turn uh, an invention into a product, and there's a difference, um, is one's ability to be able to outsource it in this globalized world. Um, you know, the Chinese don't want to make 500 or 1,000 of these so I can go to the local president of a supply house and say, can I try these out at your trade show? Mm -hmm. uh, they don't want to do that. So they, they want to make 500,000 or better yet, 50 million units. And uh, who has the kind of money to do that and to gamble on that unless you already have a market and a distribution established? And that is so difficult to overcome that hurdle, uh, the marketing and the distribution. Um, that uh, I, I don't know how inventing an entrepreneurial spirit is going to continue in this country, especially in the industrial arts, unless some of that manufacturing comes back to this country because prices just keep going up and up and up in this country because the players are disappearing and the cost of being in business and doing business uh, continues to go up. And the fewer uh, options you have, the more expensive they become when you're manufacturing anything. So. Uh, 
I'm lucky to be able to make my own products in Maine, New Hampshire, and Massachusetts at companies that have survived the globalist onslaught. <clears throat> and, um, but yet I haven't uh, quite figured out how to do the, uh, the marketing and the distribution. And the only way to do that would, be, would mean that I would have to remove two middlemen, the reps and the wholesalers. And now that means you're knocking on doors, individual doors, one at a time. And so that's very difficult. So how, how this all plays out is, uh, remains to be seen completely. But it's a problem. They're the origins of solutions. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, you know, you just got to step one foot beyond the other toward the solution. And even though you may not have it clearly in your mind along the way, like when I met an angel investor, she was my college physics professor's mother that I used to work for part-time on our farm. Mm, and wow. she would put up $150,000. So how does, that come, how does that happen? Well, it happened because I just started. And I got to a point where she recognized an opportunity um, and recognized my need. So, um, you know, I think you just have to start and not worry about how so all the details are going to... still can open. Uh, we, oh, absolutely. If, if you don't yeah. think about it just as a closed market and so far so good you're you're making things then they are out there and let's hope that you can make more and bigger i don't know how to turn the global economy around i'll tr i'll work on it yeah any ideas mike <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a pretty big problem <laughs> probably needs a really big solution too it's from a, lot of a proportionate one i would say that <laughs> Do you run into uh, ex extreme problems that stop you, Mike? Or are you a door an open? You strike me as being a door opener because um, being legally blind—that's got to be a challenge for your kind of work. Yeah, I was—I was actually going to mention that. That um, you know, when it comes to problems, there are some problems that I say, "Well, that's not worth my time and energy to to work on that one." You know, uh, but I find ways around the problem sometimes. Like, I'm legally blind. Probably never going to be able to drive unless the laws suddenly change and I'm no longer a safety hazard to anyone near a road. But I can use public transit. Okay, maybe not in New Hampshire because we don't have it, but... Yeah, there's that. Right, yeah. right. But I have friends and family who can drive, and so there's that option. There is the limited public transit here in the seacoast. We have a very nice one bus, we have mm -hmm. a very nice one train. If I need to go somewhere on their routes, it works perfectly. But that's a problem that I don't really have to muscle through something to find a solution. I just have to mm -hmm. think in an open-minded way of, why do I have to do this? Somebody else can, and I can just ride shotgun and entertain them. Yeah, with a little help from your friends. Um, but there are certainly some problems where it is worth more than worth fighting. When I was in college, I wanted to do outdoor education, and they had never had anyone with a serious disability come through that program. And there were many times where I was kind of making up solutions on the spot. My last college class was a three-week mountaineering trip in Alaska out on a glacier. Yeah, rough class. But it was because we spent the entire semester, it was our job to plan this entire trip every piece of logistics imaginable from food and 
the route to what are we going to do when weather sets in? If, if there's a whiteout, there was one for three days, and we were kind of stuck. We then had to think on the spot of how do we get through this? We were supposed to travel 10 miles yesterday and the day before. We couldn't move. What do we do? There were some unique challenges that my eyesight brought to the equation. When we were hiking on the glacier, we were supposed to keep the rope a certain tension. But the next person in line is 30 feet away from you. I can't see a rope that's strung out like that. But again, somebody else had a brilliant idea. Using the people around me, he said, wait a minute, you can't see the rope, but you can see this red bandana I have. If I tie it to the rope, can you see it? Yeah, I can. And as we walked along, he had set this up so that that bandana would be bobbing up and down as I walked. And I, all I had to do was watch this red thing floating in midair. If it was not moving, I had to come closer, speed up. If I saw it on the ground, mixing into the white stuff, I had to slow down because I was getting too close. And that was important because if a crevasse suddenly opened up under someone, you wanted to be far enough away that you could help. Well, that's pretty um, a good example of... Problem solving. Yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> so you two are actually talking about inventing solutions to problems. Want to go in the manufacturing business? Yeah, sure, let's do it. You got any money? <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah. Remember, I'm a storyteller, starving artist. <laughs> yeah, barking up the wrong tree. I, I can put together a jingle for you. What, what, what do you want to sell? Uh, give me right, some I'll rhymes keep, to work with. I'll, I'll get my keep guitar. That in mind. That's right, you. Made in the USA. Is uh -huh. A-okay? And you can bring out your banjo. There you go. There you go. Perfect. Has it been you a while Cribble since Creek? you... I don't. <laughs> I can probably learn it though. Can't be that hard. <laughs> Kia G. <laughs> Perfect. I got it. GCD. No problem. <laughs> okay, so we started out talking about stories, and now we've segued into music. They are related. We, they are. We we've only got uh, less than a minute left, but um, I have found that uh, I've been in storytelling for a long time, and lately, the last few years, I'm getting more and more into music. I'm, understanding, appreciating, working with the band, and it is, um, it's less individual than stories, and I like that. I like the bringing people together. Um, you both are bringing people together with your work, and um, I'm glad that you're going to be continuing it. Mike, it's always a pleasure to hear you, another story from you, and John, it was great to be introduced to your life and things that I don't think about. Um, I... <laughs> Flanges. Flanges. <laughs> Who thinks about that? <laughs> You're an inventor. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a big deal, and I actually appreciated the, looking at that flange that you could. It had the little square to place it, and you could turn it. Not even understand how that works. So I learned a lot. I hope that um, you learned something too. Thank you, John and Michael. Thank you. It's always so much fun to be part of this. <laughs>